So the title of this talk is The Second Noble Truth, The Cause of Suffering, Craving. I've been, uh, this is the third talk in the series, and um, I've been using The Four Noble Truths, uh, a book by Ajahn Samedo as a guide, and um, we've been using uh, this guide both in, I've been using this guide both here in this group and then in my other group in San Jose, San Jose Dharmapong. These talks are available online probably, I don't know, in about a month, usually, so it's, gonna, it's gonna, probably going to take. So just to kind of catch people up, the first week I spoke about kind of the Buddha's life and um, leading towards his awakening and his uh, liberating insight, which ultimately expressed itself in the Four Noble Truths. First week, or second week of the First Noble Truth, that was last week. There is suffering. And this week, there is a cause. This cause is craving. So I'm going to kind of unpack that for some time. One of my favorite... um, descriptions of this or I should say translations of this second noble truth is is by Ajahn Amaro Ajahn Amaro is a one could say in the lineage a disciple of Ajahn Samedo uh, Ajahn Samedo just so you guys know as a point of reference is the first American born uh, monk to ordain in Thailand particularly under Ajahn Chah, which, which is part of this Thai forced lineage that this center and that uh, my teachers belong to. Just to kind of give the reference. Ajahn Amaro is a British monk and he's now in uh, Amravati, which is uh, just outside of Chithurst, I think, or somewhere in London. And I had the privilege of having some teaching uh, receiving some teaching both from Ajahn Amaro and from Ajahn Samedo. So Ajahn Amaro's uh, translation from the Samyutta Nikaya, uh, the words from the Buddha, goes like this. This monks is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. It is that craving, compelling intoxicating, which causes us to be born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight, now here, now there. It is namely the craving for sensual delight, the craving to be something, and the craving to feel nothing. And I love it because it's succinct. And I think it speaks just directly to this craving that is so compelling and intoxicating. 
just like the language. So the Buddha described this cause of suffering as tanha. It's a uh, Buddhist word, Pali word, tanha. And it's been uh, translated many different ways. One of the things I love about Pali is that as different uh, teachers uh, investigate, different scholars investigate, they find different translations based on kind of their impression of what it means. Because um, the Pali language is like Latin. It's a, it's a, it was written down, it was a written language that was a dead language really was spoken, or in the time of the Buddha, um, they didn't speak Pali, they didn't speak Sanskrit either, so oftentimes you'll see some of the same words that um, are back and forth, both Pali and Sanskrit, what's called um, Northern School or Southern School, or Early Buddhism and Contemporary Buddhism. So this word tanha can be translated as craving, which is one of my favorite translations, or thirst, or attachment, or grasping, or desire. Each of those has a flavor of what is meant by the word tanha. I tend to go with uh, craving and thirst. This idea of this uh, unquenchable thirst. Or we can never quite satiate. We can never quite get enough. Now, um, Ajahn Samedo translates this primarily as desire. And I think it's helpful to think of it that way. But I also think there's a... Because I also think there's a, there's a sticking point in desire. Uh, most of the time... When I've used that word, people ask me right away, like, so is all desire bad? And no, that's not what we're saying at all. That's why I prefer craving or thirst. Because it's it's not the desire that is the problem. Desire is desire. It's the attachment, the craving, the wanting, the grasping to it. That's the cause of suffering from the Buddhist perspective. Now, Ajahn uh, Sumedho, in his, in his book, uh, breaks down the three aspects of reflection, which I think is really helpful as I was uh, kind of preparing this talk. Um, and I've, you know, I've read through this book several times, but preparing to talk on it, there's a, uh, just a very practical way of looking at this noble truth. So these three aspects is there is the origin of suffering, which is attachment and craving. Some would say this is a reflection. Just that alone is a reflection. And that craving should be let go of is a second reflection. And really an action, a thing to do. And then the further reflection of craving has been let go of. This is um, a prescription that's found in Buddhism a lot. 
So first see it. Then recognize there's something to be done about it. And then acknowledge that there has been something done. <clears throat> something has changed. Something has shifted. Very practical. Not a lot of woo-woo involved. So there's three kinds of craving. So I'm going to use the words craving and desire kind of interchangeably. Um, so just let me just say that up front. So craving for sense pleasure is uh, one way in which we cause suffering for ourselves. Craving to become someone, this becoming. And then the craving to get rid of dot, 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 right? So I'll break down each one a little bit. So this is what we contemplate. These different aspects and how they play out in our lives. This is what we can see uh, in our mindfulness practice, in our meditation practice. The origin of suffering is attachment to desire or craving. This is the contemplation. So sense pleasure. Remember when I first heard, actually I think the way I heard it was sensual pleasure. And immediately I thought sexual pleasure. And then immediately from the way that I, I had either read it or heard it, um, it was bad. Right? Sexual pleasure is bad, was the way I under, first understood this. Now, there was a lot I didn't understand when I first started meditating. <laughs> when I would go to teachings and I would hear things that my mind would make up stories about what I was hearing. Because I was very skeptical of this whole thing being like some weird religion where they try to brainwash you. And it's okay to be skeptical, actually. The Buddha, that's what I love about Buddhism, is that the Buddha encouraged skepticism to a degree. When we get to so stuck in uh, discounting things or not accepting things that we're actually causing more suffering for ourselves, we're caught in doubt. But healthy skepticism, this kind of not buying it at first glance, it's okay. The Buddha encouraged this, which allowed me to be more curious. Maybe you're like me. But I've come to understand sensual pleasure as to mean a lot more as I've investigated it in my own practice. The way I see it now is smelling, seeing, touching, tasting, hearing, and thinking that which is pleasing. So sensual pleasure is whatever comes through our senses, the mind being a sense organ that causes pleasant sensation. And then the grasping to that, the wanting of it, the craving as it leaves. And this is a cause of suffering. So to be contemplated... And, you know, we have these wonderful bodies that, you know, if you're 
if you have the majority of your faculties, then you have these six senses. And they are the avenues of investigation. And when you sit and point your attention in one place, like we ask you to do here often, you know, the breath or body or sound, then you can very quickly notice what you like, what you don't like, the story, the annoyance, the all of the stuff that comes up. The mind creating fantasies because there's a pain in the foot. <laughs> it's one I've particularly uh, looked at quite a bit. Particularly kind of delved into. Wow, look at where the mind went. One I can recognize that the mind has been somewhere for however long, a minute to five minutes or down some story. And it usually has to do with one of the other senses, actually. There's a physical, maybe unpleasant sensation, and the mind kind of moves to, oh, it'd be nice to be on a beach, or I should go traveling, it's been so long. Go scuba diving, that was fun. You know, just, or memory of a pleasant experience. Eating is a, a good way to reflect around this sensual pleasure. Wanting to eat, liking to eat. You know, we, we have to eat. So we can't just cut it out. But we can use it as where do we have that craving, that attachment, that more. Um, so, you know, if you've been on a meditation retreat, oftentimes uh, they have uh, uh, mindful eating as a part of the the integration of practice and this uh, very kind of slow, intentional eating. Not like slow, slow. Um, as a matter of fact, I would notice that when people told me to go slow eating, I would just start eating faster because I'm a little rebellious like that. But still noticing, being aware, it's helpful to just, okay, okay here's food. What do I like about it? What's enjoyable about it? What's happening in, in this body around it? And then taking a bite and really enjoying that bite. And then noticing how long it takes before the mind starts to reach for the other bite, even if you haven't actually reached for it yet. You're like, oh, this is a good bite. Mm, the next one's going to be really good, I'm sure. You know? I just recently, um, I had a couple of chocolate kisses. And I just, I did a mindful melting of the chocolate kiss in my mouth. And I didn't get it so it totally melted. I just couldn't do it. But I stayed for as long as I could with the melting and feeling the tongue and just really getting into it. And then only had it like three, right? Someone had given me like a couple and I was like, oh yeah. And then later I was reflecting on it, eating one. And as I was, I couldn't finish the whole thing. It takes a long time for one of those suckers to melt completely in your mouth. <laughs> But this is what's kind of recommended. And um, Thich Nhat Hanh has this whole kind of instruction around mindful eating of uh, picking the fork or the spoon up, taking a, a, a bite, putting it in the mouth, setting the spoon or fork down, enjoying the bite, noticing the reaching of the mind or towards the next bite, and really just kind of doing a whole meal that way. You know, how much money do we spend when we want to go out for a good meal, you know? A lot of money we could spend. And then we woof it down. 
At least I do. Or half. So this idea of kind of slowing it down, really as an exploration, just investigating. It's going to help give us information. We can have lots of insight. Just by doing that. This idea of sensual pleasure, or anything that we're engaging in, uh, and then noticing the grasping or the attachment, or as it's leaving, you know, a good book. You're almost to the end. Maybe you read really fast, maybe you stop reading it, make it last. Start thinking about the next book. I wonder if this author has another book. So sensual pleasure. Now, of course, sexual pleasure can be totally entwined in that. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's a cause for lots of suffering. For lots of people, especially around addiction. I'll just say this that much about that for now. So this next, uh, becoming. We are becoming something as soon as we're able to differentiate between everything and us. There's a becoming that it's it's just instinctual. It's it's part of who we are, and actually we get a lot of help. Oh, you're Joey. You're Joey. I'm mommy. I'm daddy. You're Joey, right? Donkey, you know. <laughs> Remember that? I used to have that thing where you, you pull it and it spins and it goes. The cow goes. Ooh, and it's just it's all about this kind of uh, understanding and labeling things. I often wondered what it would be like, and there's been a few movies, right? But the, what it would be like if um, you just didn't label anything for pe- for kids? Would they figure it out? Or would they just be wild animals? <laughs> I don't really know. But this idea of becoming, we get caught up in the realm of ambition and attainment, the desire to become. I like that first in the, the, the quote from Ajahn Amaro. This craving for sensual delight. The craving to be something. I exist. I'm important. I am. That there we have so much attachment around that. And we don't even see it really. And even as I'm saying it now, like we're still doing it. You know, we do it all the time. This becoming. It's very uh, complicated. And it's not wrong or bad. It's just, and you're not to blame. There's not, it's, and that's the whole thing, right? It's about seeing, about getting some observation of what's happening. So we get caught up in the, the movement of becoming, becoming happy. We strive. We strive so hard to become happy and get so uh, stuck in that if I was just happy. Seeking to become wealthy or to make our life feel important by taking on causes and endeavors. I matter. What I'm doing matters. It's not good or bad again. It's just a thing to reflect upon. 
How much attachment to it is there? Or endeavoring to make the world right. If the world can be right, the way I want the world to be, then my life would have mattered. That kind of thing. There's an attachment to that. Well, there's a lot of attachment to that. Attachment to view, attachment to opinions, attachment to self, attachment to wanting things to be other than they are. So again, reflection. So attempting to become something other than we are right now is tact- uh, attached to that, connected to that. I, I wrote a few examples down. I want to practice meditation so I can become free from pain. Some, so I'm going to meditate. Becoming free from pain. Or I want to become enlightened. I, that was my motivation. Some would say a healthy motivation, but it can really turn into this, atta- this uh, attainment. I see it a lot. Not only in my own life, but uh, in others. This, I want to be enlightened. As if you're not already. (laughs) This is my favorite one. I want to enjoy the sense pleasures without having to give up anything and still become enlightened. (laughs) Right? It's not possible. It's not possible. Because the grasping. It's not that sense pleasure is wrong. It's the grasping. It's the wanting. So now we'll switch to the getting rid of. I'm sure we're all definitely the aversive people, but I think we're all uh, aware of this one. The getting rid of. When we get disillusioned with trying to become something, then there's the desire to get rid of things. Okay, well, I've been trying to, you know, I've read all these books and I've done all this, you know, self-help work and now what? Now I just want to get rid of things. Get rid of the judgment. Get rid of the criticism. Get rid of the partner, the job, or the, you know, the car. That damn car, I'm going to ride a bicycle. Not that it's good or bad. It's that, that idea of if I can just shed enough, then I'll be happy. I'll be okay. I want to get rid of my suffering. This is attachment. I want to get rid of my suffering. I want it gone. The first noble truth said there is suffering. To see it clearly. And really what's the difference between pain and suffering? Some would say attachment versus non-attachment. I want to get rid of my anger, my jealousy, my fear, my anxiety. I want to get rid of it. Can it just stop existing? Instead of trying to get rid of what we're asking to do or for each of us to do, is to acknowledge. We're acknowledging it's like this. And even the like uh, desire to want to get rid of something, we're acknowledging the way that feels too. 
Because that is a desire, that is a craving. That actually keeps us suffering, keeps us locked in. The more we push away, one of my teachers, Bob, likes to say, that which you resist, persists. That which you turn to will free you. And one of the things that I recognized in my own practice is that which you turn to dissolves. It actually does cease to exist. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a day, maybe for a lifetime. That's what I think is being pointed to here, that we're not trying to uh, discard parts of ourselves, actually. That this is really much more about folding into the whole, accepting even the, uh, the parts about ourselves we don't like. Or that we feel are disgusting or ugly, different. Yeah, that too. Warts and all. As I've heard before. So another thing that kind of happens in the mind, um, especially those people who are there doing some meditation for a while, you're starting to feel, you know, oh, this feels kind of good. Oh, like the some of the, the precepts say, you know, don't do this and don't do that, and that's not really what they say, but that's what way we hear it sometimes. So I have to get rid of or conquer all my desires in order to be free from suffering. All my desires. This is just another craving. Conquer all my desires. As soon as I do that, then I'll be happy. Letting go of desire is a process of seeing it clearly. So we're seeing desire clearly and allowing it to be a part of ourselves without rejection or grasping. Letting go of desire is a process of seeing it clearly and allowing it to be part of ourselves without rejection or grasping. That's it. (laughs) So tough. But moment to moment, I believe it's possible. I believe we can. This is what the Buddha believed too. It's not helpful to beat ourselves up for our desires or our cravings. It's just not helpful. That's just another whole kind of judgmental layer. I, when I talk with people and, and they've been meditating for a while, uh, get this, why? Why is this still happening? Why does my mind still obsess on things? Because it's the mind. And you're human. And it has that ability. Now, we can transform that. But it does take a lot of work. And instead of this ideal goal of final liberation, I'm cool with settling for moments of liberation. <laughs> like a moment of like respite. A moment of peace and ease. Because then it can be, if that's like attainable. Isn't it? 
it helped. I don't know. It helps me wrap my head around this instead of the when I first started meditating. I was like, I'm going to get enlightened, and I didn't even really know what enlightenment meant. Right? I thought it was levitating and reading minds and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I did. That's what I thought. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although most of the kind of elder uh, teachers that I've sat with and practiced with and learned from, yeah. The perception changes of what that really means. So it's not about identifying with craving. It's about recognizing the desire. Recognizing the craving. So when we're identified with it, we're caught up, we're locked in it, we're enmeshed with it. Whatever the desire is, right? Mainly these kind of three, sensual, uh, sensual pleasure, the uh, uh, becoming something or someone, or the getting rid of. If we're able to see that as it arises, or even after it's already arisen, that's usually what happens. It's already been run in its show for some time, and then we're like, oh, wait, that's what's happening. Oh, Some people call that insight. It is an insight. But insight without action, there's not, it's just insight. We have to be able to uh, bring that into practice. But we have to be careful not to have this hellfire and brimstone kind of approach, right? That's what I love about Buddhism. And particularly this kind of, uh, and I think, you know, I believe that uh, Donald was probably talking about this for most of the weekend, this you know, we have to kind of befriend the judgmental mind. We have to befriend the parts of ourselves that crave. It's instinctual to want pleasure. It's instinctual to want to avoid that which is unpleasant. But we have to begin to see how that plays out and how that both of those cycles cause suffering. So this line, again, from the, uh, from the first quote, the craving to feel nothing, more grasping, more suffering. This idea of feeling nothing. When I first read it, I, I, I really related to that line. You know, the craving to be somebody, I was like, eh, I'm I didn't really understand it so clearly. I've come to understand it more. But the craving to feel nothing, I understood that. Right away. It like hit deep. Because what I was generally feeling was suffering. Or unpleasant. Emotional or mental fabrications. And I didn't, and I wanted to escape it. So that's again that's a that's a getting rid of. So letting go. You know this term letting go it's, it seems so simple, right? Let it go. Just let it go. But let it go where, you know? 
I like to think of that really, it's a really more about letting it be. So we're recognizing it, we're seeing it clearly, and we're just letting it be as it is. Pleasant, unpleasant, neither. So much of what's being pointed to within Buddhism. If we can listen to our desires with wisdom and not craving, they can lead to great insight. So if we can listen to them but not feed them, we're not feeding the desire so much or the craving, but we're still allowing it to be there, we're not going to reject. How do we not feed the desire, but allow them to arise and pass away? In the same way we allow everything to arise and pass away within meditation practice. Sticking with um, an object, maybe it's focusing on on the breath, or even just turning toward the desire, the craving. It's more like setting them down and letting them be rather than getting rid of or even letting go. Now, the idea of if we are letting something go, that means we don't have a grasp on it. Like love, right? They say, you know, if you let it go, it comes back to you. You were really worthy of it or something. I think it's the letting go process that actually allows us to move on. So this is not intellectual. And it's so hard to... We want to figure it out. We want to analyze it. We want to be able to see it. And our minds are so good at that. Some, some, you know, some of us are inclined the mind that way maybe more than others. But that's just not helpful. It's actually just another aspect of grasping. This is experiential. Uh, in the in the book, Ajahn, Ajahn uh, Sumedho talks about just intellectually saying the words, this is letting go, this is letting go. But it didn't really help him. He had to experientially allow the letting go to happen. Allow the process of letting go to then experience it and then know, oh, this is what letting go is like. You've all let go of things. Everyone has. You've had to. (laughs) Because life is constantly rushing by. And when we don't let go is when we suffer. When we're grasping. He gives an example of a clock, a heavy clock. So we we're, we're, we need the clock. We have to have this clock. It's a very good clock. But we're, but we're holding it. We're grasping to it. And I don't know. It's like a I don't know like a big clock. Right? Now it does just as much good if we just set it down, and we could still see it. We could still use it for what it's useful for. But then we don't. We're not burdened by it. The same idea. And I think this is a moment-to-moment process. This dance of selfing versus not selfing. Um, so this this kind of concept of becoming sometimes is talked about as selfing. So we're taking identification of things onto ourselves, adding to ourselves constantly. Layers and layers of selfing. I am, I am, I am. 
and how that can keep us locked, like we're holding the clock. When it, we're gonna, the process is just happening anyway. We don't have to grasp onto anything, but we do. We're graspers. Such as personal problems. We really like to grasp hold of those suckers, don't we? Obsession. I can't just let them go. Really? Is grasping that helpful? This idea of, you know, I really have to work through these problems. And sometimes it's helpful to look at, to investigate. But when we identify and we take this on, is it helpful? That's the question. That's the reflection. Is this helpful? Even during meditation, when your mind gets lost in some kind of story, is it just asking yourself just that? It's like cutting through the delusion. Is this really helpful right now? Even just remembering to do that can be so helpful. It's just to say, is it helpful? And it, either it is or it isn't, right? You'll come up with, you'll know right away. Oh yeah, this isn't helpful. My head kind of hurts. I feel tension in my body. You know, begin to kind of remove out of the mind and into the the felt sense or the physicality of things. Can be really helpful. Are we entangling in the web of judgment and analyzing? Again, something to reflect upon, to ask ourselves. Is it freeing or relieving or is it a burden that has just been removed from you? You know, this is the, is this entangling or is this freeing? This process of letting go, this kind of experiential letting letting go, the way I've experienced it and the way I think I've heard others describe it is like being relieved of a burden. Like this heavy clock that we're carrying around. When we are really calm and peaceful, then we will know that there is no attachment to anything. A quote from Ajahn Sumedha. When we are really calm and peaceful, then we will know that there is no attachment to anything. When we are not caught up trying to get something or get rid of something, well-being is just knowing things as they are without feeling the necessity of, or the necessity to pass judgment upon them. So when we're, again, we're just kind of back to this. You know, I give this, this instruction quite often. Relax, observe, allow. And ultimately that's the key here. Then through the actual practice of understanding of what letting go really is, then we can gain this third insight, this third aspect that I was talking about before. Desire has been let go of. Again, it's not a theoretical letting go. It's a direct insight. 
So my hope is that uh, this is um, this talk has helped to engage you a little more in this uh, second noble truth: cause of suffering. What is the cause of suffering? So now, if anyone asks you, what is the cause of suffering? Hopefully, you'll be able to pop off a few smart phrases. Becoming into things. Let me read that. Really, what I feel like I did is I just read Ajahn Amaro's description, and then I gave a bunch of examples of this beautifully succinct definition. This monks is the noble truth of the cause of suffering it is that craving compelling intoxicating which causes us to be born into things again and again ever seeking fresh delight now here now there it is namely the craving for sensual delight the craving to be something the craving to feel nothing Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.